Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Through our series, Divided, Seeking Unity in a Fractured World, we are coming face to face with the division that seems to define the culture of our nation, our communities, and even our churches. Join us as we turn to 1 Corinthians to discover the unifying power of a people who follow Christ. As I think about today, I am um, blown away that the, this passage has ministered to me because it is a reminder that God has given every one of us beautiful spiritual gifts. Spoiler that's basically what this is about. And I say this as someone who, um, I have extreme ADHD. Growing up, I had a bit of a stutter. I um, struggled uh, with, I have vision problems. I have all sorts of things, and like, they they kept on stacking the cards against um, my ability to learn. And I've always wondered, as a result, like, where God had me in the church. And to see a passage that is so effusively happy about how God made his people, I am joyful to celebrate this with you. So have your Bibles open, uh, especially to 1 Corinthians 1, and then later we're going to look at the entire chapter of, of chapters 12 and 13. But let's begin with a little Bible study 101. When we are studying the Bible, what we, we have to ask, what do these verses actually say? So many people have said, Jesus said this, never said that. Paul said this, he never said that. Or when we are reading the Bible, we move too quickly into sort of summarizing in our own words what the Bible seems to say. But that is a bad way to start. We want to stick with the words as given and find out what does the Bible actually say. This is called observations. This is the thing that made Sherlock Holmes famous, observation. One pastor called it seeing what can be seen. Eventually, you get to interpretation, which asks, what does this mean? And then you get to application, which asks, how do I now apply this to my life? But we never should move so close, move so fast that we forget to see what's actually there. There's so much goodness. And if we stop and pause and just see what can be seen, we will find that God is already applying these things to our life. So let's look at what's here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. Paul says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Why is Paul thanking God? First off, let's stop and pause. Paul is happy. This is a happy passage. Anytime someone writes you a letter and they're like, hey, I have some news, you're immediately braced for the impact. But this is Paul right out of the gate saying, ah, this is such a good day. Why is Paul thanking God? Because of the graces that God has given to them in Christ Jesus. Now, this is a specific usage of the word grace. Is this grace leading to salvation? Is this grace upon grace upon grace? Well, he defines it in the next verse, verse 5. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Let's stop there. Paul is overwhelmed with excitement and is thanking God all the time because God has given the Corinthian church, not just one gift, not just two, but every kind of gift. These are called spiritual gifts in the Bible, and they have been given to the people in the church as graces. Graces upon grace, just God was overwhelming in his generosity to this church. Why? When did they receive these gifts? At the point of salvation. Look at verse 6. 
even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you. That's a fancy way of saying when you got saved, God was like, well, have this too. We focus so much on you know, salvation, going to heaven, and forgiveness of sins, but there's so much more about being a Christian than just that I'm gonna go to heaven. When the moment you were saved, you were filled with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and God, through the Holy Spirit, has empowered every Christian to express his love by giving them a special gift. Spiritual gifts, lots of them. They were all present. But then he moves on. These spiritual gifts are not eternal. They are for us until the return of Jesus. Look at verse 7. So that you are not lacking at any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called in the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. We have basically two things happening in our passage today. We have one, an overwhelming joy about the amount to which God has thrown spiritual gifts in the family. They are spiritual gifts that are there, and they're beautiful. The other part is that those spiritual gifts are given to us between now and when Jesus returns. So, Verse 7, you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the return of our Lord, revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what they're doing. Every Christian across time has been doing. We've been waiting for the return of Jesus. And Paul connects these dots between the giftedness that we've been given and the return of Jesus. God has gifted and fitted each one of his saints with a special part to play. And there's so much more. This is such a great passage. Verse 8. Who will sustain you to the end? Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. How will you make it to the end? To the end either to death, where you meet the Lord face to face afterwards, or to his return. How will you make it? Jesus We'll get you there. And what will you look like when you get there? You'll be clean, spotless, no burden, just clean. And why do we have this promise and how can we hold on to it? Verse 9 tells us, God is faithful. Now, you and I struggle with faithfulness, to God especially, but you were called into a family, and the leader of that family is faithful to get you to the end. He didn't start and then suddenly forget how to do it. God is faithful. He will sustain you to the end. When you get there, you'll be guiltless. He's faithful, and you were called into that kind of fellowship. So what do we observe here? Our passage has basically two parts. We are rich in God's very graces, and we are safe in God's sustaining and purifying love. We are rich in God's good graces, and we are sustained by purifying love. Let's look at spiritual gifts together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. 
so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus. Paul rejoices over this church, and he's celebrating how God is at work in them. These are not gifts from them. These are gifts that Jesus has given to them. And did God skimp? Was God like the person who gives only like a half a scoop of ice cream? No. God gave the whole thing of ice cream and then brought some more out. All the gifts are there. Verse 5. In every way you were enriched in him, in all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift. Now, as a heads up, and I'm, by now I've, I've, I've shown this, what is true of the Corinthian church is also true of you. I think it's hilarious when a church looks at a person and is like, well, I don't know what to do with that guy. Let's put him in the parking lot ministry. As if suddenly God skipped a, b- a bloke and no one knows what to do with the person. That's not how it works. You get this opportunity as Christians to learn how God has been at work in the other person's life and where they fit as you figure out where you fit into the body of Christ. And God has done this with the Corinthian church and he's done it effusively in the churches in the Plymouth, Canton, Livonia area. He hasn't skipped out. He didn't skip out on you. You might be one of those people who think that, well, there's no real place for me because the churches only needs introverts or extroverts. That's not how it works. God has uniquely given you a place in his body. He didn't skip you. You didn't get half a gift. He effusively, joyfully, and I can just imagine, you know, it's fun to give your kids gifts. How much more joy does God have in make, taking people who are outsiders, making them insiders, and then also giving them an opportunity to do something that is essential for the body of Christ? And these gifts were not based upon these people being impressive. Because in the same chapter, later on, we read this. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of were of noble birth. Imagine the Corinthians going to be like, hey, yes. Think about it. Where did you come from? None of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to bring shame to the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to bring to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised to the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The Corinthian church had been given every possible gift. But was it because they were just cool people, gifted people? No. They were normal people. Sometimes people who were in terrifying, bad situations. Some were wise by earthly standards, but most of them weren't. Some were powerful by earthly standards, but most of them weren't. Some were born into status and opportunity, but most of them weren't. The correlation of giftedness has nothing to do with how you were born and the brain you were given. It combines with that, but it's not based upon earthly standards. You know who doesn't give one drip about earthly standards? God. Who does, you know who doesn't care about how the world determines who is hireable? God. God does 
whatever God delights to do. And God has delighted in giving his people spiritual gifts to make each one of them essential in the church. And this includes you. Who in here likes food? I like food. Yes, we got one hand. Two. Our people are finally showing, yes, I like food too. I've been working pretty diligently to take care of my bodies, but my body these days, but apparently Instagram, well, the algorithm knows that I'm trying to take better care of myself. It knows that I'm perpetually hungry, and it's showing me all the calories. I mean, if you go to the Food Network Instagram page, you can see an endless array of things that are so delicious, and are probably like 6,000 calories per serving. It doesn't show me Photoshop pictures of half salads. It shows me rice and chicken and beef and bread and, and pickled vegetables with, and so much olive oil. There's so much olive oil. I love olive oil. I could literally drink this stuff all day long. It shows me flatbreads and New York-style pizzas and bagels that are actually good, a.k.a. New York-style bagels. So much cheese. Friends, is there that much cheese in the world? There is. There's so much cheese. So by the time I'm done doom scrolling down the, uh, my Instagram algorithm, I find myself hungrier than I thought possible. We treat God's generosity like a small side salad without any dressing. And we, like, God gives it to us and says, call that a meal. Eat it. Be happy with what you've got. No. God's more like the Food Network Instagram page. All the calories. All the time. Happily, joyfully filling you up and then giving you more. It's like the grandmother says, eat, you're skinny. But grandma, I'm full. Eat, you're skinny. This is how the Lord does it. He delights to do it. Your giftedness and your place in the body of Christ has been secured by God. You are an essential member of this thing we call the body of Christ. Now, let's all turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to look at what this means practically. Because when you have so much diversity in a group that's supposed to be unified, there are going to be problems, a.k.a. we are human, a.k.a. we're going to mess this up. But Paul does a deep dive into spiritual giftedness in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, among other places, but we're going to look at these right now. 1 Corinthians 12... Let's see it here. Did I start in... Where, what verse did I start with, Kyla? Is it four or one? It doesn't matter. We'll start in verse one. Oh, four. We'll start in verse four. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities. But it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gift of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits. Did you know discernment is a spiritual gift? Some of us are like so gullible, and others are not. That's amazing. God knew that was going to happen. Let's see, where were we? Where were we? To another, the healing, da, 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 da. faith by the same spirit, 
to another gifts of healing, verse 10, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, another ability to sing. Okay, we already read that. To another various kinds of tongues, to another interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one of the same Spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. There are so many gifts, and I, I'm one of those people who believes that Paul is not listing all the gifts here. He's just giving examples. There are a variety of gifts, but we all serve the same God. There is one God who gifts and empowers as he delights. And the way that these work together is the same way that your body is supposed to work together. Just as the heart interacts with the lungs, which interacts with other parts, I mean, suddenly forgot all the body parts. <laughs> so it is with the body of Christ. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. We were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would this be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, those parts of the body which seem weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body we think are less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That's a beautiful statement. How many people enter the church as an outsider and alone with nothing to do and no feeling they can do, provide anything? And then comes this promise. God composed the body, giving greater honor. Imagine Maybe you have experienced this, where you suddenly feel like, oh, I have a place, a purpose. I'm here, and God is at work in me to give something these others don't have. Verse 25, that there be no division in the body, that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then the gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of the healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. God has abundantly brought people into a family. And he bestows 
upon each one a unique set of gifts, purely because he wanted to, purely because it brought him joy. And it's not just for them, it's for the whole. No one is dispensable. Everyone is beautiful and unique. Everyone has been called by God to use their gifts to build up the body. But in a world of so much diversity, you can imagine, as has happened here and happens in churches all across the world, when there's that much diversity, there's also trouble. Because when there's diversity of gifts, what exactly we just read happens, where one says to another, I have no need of you. And so how do we keep from killing one another? All of our gifts are to be unified in love. The guiding light of our giftedness should be love. And in exactly the next chapter, Paul talks about how every gift is to be applied with no exception. First, chapter, one, first, chapter 13, verse 1. If I speak with the tongues and of men of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and I understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver it up to my, my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. What is love like? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices at truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. I said earlier that these gifts happen for a time. And this is what Paul says. All of this is for a season. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now we see in a mirror dark, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been known. So faith, hope, and love abide. The only thing that's going to go into eternity with us is love, not the gifts. The gifts point to and express all the contours of God's greatness. But when we finally meet our Lord face to face, the gifts don't matter anymore because love now unifies and seals us together. We read this at weddings. This should be read at church business meetings. This is 100% the ethic of how Christians are to do life together. Can you imagine if the, we were known for bearing all things, believing? I'm a cynical person, and I need to be around people who believe all things happily. My wife is one such person. She just is optimistic about life, hopes all things, endures all things. What would it be like if we actually submitted to this guiding principle on how all of us are supposed to do life together. I get so sad 
when you hear that people have used their gifts to harm. That is not the purpose of a gift. Oh, he's a monster, but he's a great teacher. He is nothing, according to this. Well, you know, don't cross her or she'll blow up, but boy, can she interpret the Bible. What have we done with our gifts that we are so willing, because some good things happened, to forsake love? Last week, I talked about how we are a family, a holy people. And one of the things I said was that as Paul answers the questions of the Corinthian church, he always guides his answer with love. Everything we do should be walking in tandem with love. It doesn't matter if you're a good teacher. If you have not love, you are nothing. And I'm sure there are people here who have experienced the inverse of this. Where you've gone to a church where the pastor or the elder board or the deacons or the deaconesses or somebody who oversaw a ministry or maybe a Bible study leader in the name of some axe to grind hurt you. And on behalf of the church that should have protected you, I'm sorry that happened. It breaks my heart. It's happened to me many times. One of the worst bosses I ever had was a pastor. It, was, it took three years of counseling to figure it out. Friends, God has gifted you. But love is the ethic by which we apply these things here. And if you'd like to talk through and decompress about your experience, because I'm sure there are plenty of hurt memories here, I'd, I'd be honored to talk with you. God abhors when we use our gifts to hurt one another. So God has given us these gifts. It's like giving kids a tool and then teaching them to use it and praying that they don't use it to hurt one another. That's how this is. We've all been given dynamite to blow it up or to build it. That's a bad metaphor. But you can't really do much with dynamite other than blow things up. Uh, but you get the point. So we see here two things. We've been given the varied graces of God. And the second thing is we are safe. Paul is so overjoyed at the things he sees in them, the ways in which God is expressed in their community. But these gifts exist for a season. And that season, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. But until then, we know that we're waiting. So let's look at verse 7. You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Right now, Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He's the incarnate Lord who has been given a glorified body that mysteriously still holds the scars of his crucifixion. And he has come, promised to come again. And the Bible has a lot to say about the return of our king. But Paul zeroes in on two very important aspects of this promise. 
He will sustain you until the end, and you will be guiltless when you see your Lord face to face. So I want to jump over to one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible. 1 John chapter 2, verses 28 through 33. And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him. And shame in his coming. You know that he is righteous. You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So at this point, people are reading this and saying, well, I struggle with unrighteousness. I struggled. I'm, I'm a broken person. Does this mean that when I, Jesus comes back that I won't be ready? Verse 1 of chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason the world does not know us is because it does not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is. When you see Jesus face to face, you will realize that all the promises were true. Like the Apostle Paul, John points to this astonishing fact that God's people, when they see him face to face, will realize that God accomplished what he set out to do. He has completed this amazing work of making us good. Finally good and finally free. And last week we talked about the fact that God has made us holy. It's a once-in-a-moment declaration. We have been renewed, redeemed. But he's also in the process of teaching us how to live out that holiness. And that process is called sanctification. And the Holy Spirit actively is invested in you to make you more live more like Jesus. But we can get in the trap of assuming that we are varying degrees like, I'm 30% holy at the age of 38, but by 41, I'll be 40% holy. And then, hopefully, by the time I die, which I'm assuming will be 137, I will be 95% holy, and then right when I tick to 100%, 100%, I'm good. I'll see God face to face. That is not how it works. That's not how God looks at you. It's not how he interacts with you. We should stop treating ourselves and others as if we're varying percentages of holiness, Sanctification is a process where God teaches us to live out what he has already accomplished in our heart. He has already made you holy. You have been made holy. So when you sin, if you're like me, you do, instead of sitting back and saying, I'm such a, you know, come up with some terrible thing to say about yourself, you have to stand now in the fact that though we still struggle with sin and sin hurts us, God has accomplished something much greater on our behalf and has made us holy people. So that if you were to die in this moment, you would see your Savior face to face and you would experience guiltless joy. This is the overwhelming promise that God has given to you. You're not kind of holy, you are holy, you are secure. You stand before God as a person who has been made right. This is what 1 John 3, 2 says. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. You will see him, and you will see you reflected in him. 
Because that is what God has promised to do. Paul says it this way. He will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a promise. I mean, that's an incredible promise. Stew on that one for a while. When you see God face to face, all the burden will be gone. You will be free. And this is what all Christians who practice gifts have to expect. When they see their Lord face to face, they will be free. Why? How can we hold on to this? Because verse 9 is true. God is faithful. We know that this will be true because God is faithful to make it true. Another place Paul says this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Man, if that doesn't put a skip in your step and cause you to think like, what the? I have every reason to be optimistic about tomorrow because you are safe in the hands of a God who is taking care of you. We can spend so much time thinking of what we need for today or tomorrow that we forget what God has already provided for us. Dear friends, you are, if you are a child of God, that means you are an essential member of this body. And not just the Plymouth campus and not just the Woodside campus, but the entire body of Christ. So I encourage you, grow in your giftedness. If you don't know what your gift sets are, let's figure it out. Because you are an essential member of the team. You are uniquely designed to aid your fellow Christians in their walk. These people around you, they need you to be you. 100% of the time, walking in love. When we've submitted to God's will and are walking in his love, our lives become living reminders of what God has accomplished, of his sure and promised return as well. If you don't know what your gifts are, find someone who knows you and say, what do you see in me? You don't have to be an introvert or an extrovert. They're all welcome here, and they all have a unique design in place. And there are other ways to discover this as well. But these gifts are for a time to build up the body of Christ, to unify us in love so that we can, in this walk, hold on to our God who is faithful together. Jesus is coming back, and when he does, we will see him as a body, guiltless and whole. What an incredible promise. What a happy passage. Am I right? What a happy passage to look at today. And so on the basis of that happy passage which tells us that we are given by God to each other and tells us that God is holding us tight. Let's in faith take communion now together. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head over to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.